This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Friday, last day of the week. Ooh, we made, we made it. it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, we are talking about uh, red blood cell transfusions. This this is Friday, so this is question day. So mm-hmm. let's um, let's get into some questions. Any updates, Daphna, um, before we begin that you wanted to go over? I don't think so. Okay. No, Should we that talk about our Sunday episode? Um, I'm, let's, we'll tease it at the end. Okay. <laughs> That's really being a tease where you right. wait yeah. to tease it. Okay. But, yeah. All right. So our first question today, hematology and bilirubin question 26. Um, erythropoietin is a primary hormone responsible for regulating erythropoiesis throughout gestation. Which of the following statements is false? Uh, A, after birth, erythropoiesis is suppressed in term infants as a result of improved postnatal tissue oxygenation and decreased circulating EPO levels. B, EPO does not cross the placenta in humans and fetal production increases with gestational age. C, EPO production is regulated by the transcription factor hypoxia-inducible factor 1, HIF1. D, in term infants, hemoglobin typically reaches an average nadir of 11 uh, grams per deciliter at approximately 8 to 12 weeks after birth. Or E, in the fetus, EPO is produced primarily by the kidneys. Mm. <clears throat> this is a great review of the physiology. Oh, God. <laughs> Were you paying attention? Yes, of course I, of <laughs> course I was paying attention. Um, hmm. So the first, let me just go over the answer choices because they were mm-hmm. kind of wordy. So the first one yeah, is mom. choice. So we're looking for the false statement. Let me just right. silence my phone so that I, I am being considerate of everybody. Okay. So choice A says that after birth, erythropoiesis is suppressed in term infants as a result of improved postnatal tissue oxygenation and decreased circulating EPO levels. I, I believe that to be true. Uh, EPO, the choice B, EPO does not cross the placenta in humans and fetal production increases with gestational age. Um, yeah, I had a bit of a doubt about whether it crosses the placenta or not that I <laughs> have to admit I blanked a little bit, but uh, it does increase with gestational age. So well, most likely true. EPO production is regulated by transcription factor hypoxia inducible factor one that I know to be true. Um, I, I had to review EPO significantly when I wrote the protocol for our unit. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm not like, like I don't want to pretend like I know all these things top of my head. <laughs> uh, and then D is in term infants, hemoglobin typically reaches a nadir of 11 at 8 to 12 weeks. That's definitely true. And then E in the fetus, EPO is primarily produced by the kidneys. Well, uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, the kidneys are not an. Uh, no, I think I, I, I think it's the liver that makes EPO in the fetus, but I'm not sure. I would say E, because the other one sounds really good, and this one really doesn't sound good. 
um, I'm going to say E. It's not made in the kidneys. Okay. Yeah, that's correct. Um, <clears throat> so let's talk about that answer choice. So just as a reminder, uh, hematopoiesis in the fetus first starts in the yolk sac very early, 16 to 19 days of gestation, and continues um, until about eight weeks. Then the fetal liver begins ramping up at about five to six weeks and is the primary site between six and 22 weeks. The bone marrow becomes the primary site after 22 weeks, but it does begin um, hematopoiesis around 8 to 20 weeks. So you were correct that E is the wrong answer. In the fetus, uh, EPO is produced by um, the fetal liver predominantly in addition to the kidney and in late gestation uh, moves to the bone marrow. Um uh, just, I mean, the other answer choices are just correct. Um, I think that it's neat that um, EPO kind of rises over the gestational age. It comes to like a peak and then it has this like dramatic fall um, related um, to the increased uh, tissue oxygenation <clears throat> uh, postnatally. So I think that's just really neat. It's like the TSH surge goes up, comes right back down mm -hmm. kind of thing. And, um, so, yeah. and then mm -hmm. uh, just to be clear, EPO does not cross the placenta in humans. Um, and uh, that's part of the problem. But it does increase with uh, gestational age. But why preterm infants are born with uh, such little epogen? It's so tricky, right? Because, I mean, they said, I mean, technically – EPO is not made in the liver indefinitely, right? I mean, it's just in fetal life. So it was kind of tricky to write in the fetus. It's produced primarily by the kidneys. Like it's such such an easy way to, to fall. If too you, tricky, if you, yeah. Oh, oof. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Very nice question. Okay, I'm next. So I'm, we're going to hematology and mm -hmm. bilirubin question number 27. Daphne is six-week-old, former 24-week gestational age female infant is noted to have a hemoglobin of 7 grams per deciliter. Which of the following statements is false? Choice A, blood loss from phlebotomy increases with lower gestational age and greater illness severity. I mean, that's con. That's really true. I'm kind of... <laughs> hey, I wanted to be able to know that. <laughs> Choice B... Uh, delayed cord clamping may augment the initial red blood cell volume by 10 to 15%. Choice C, insufficient iron availability may inhibit the efficacy of erythropoietin in prematurity. Choice D, red blood cell survival is approximately 45 to 50 days in extremely low birth weight infants compared to 60 to 80 days in term infants. And then finally, Choice E, studies to date examining the administration of recombinant human erythropoietin have demonstrated a decrease in the number of blood donors to which infants are exposed. Well, this was not a straightforward question It's a, it's, uh, a, it's, a, it's very tough. <laughs> it's actually very um, tough. Okay, so you said A was correct. Blood loss from phlebotomy increases with lower gestational age and greater illness severity, obviously because we're sending more labs, so that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Delayed cord clamping is um, a way to ameliorate 
uh, anemia, um, especially that anemia prematurity. Does it augment the red cell volume by 10 to 15%? I don't know. That's like a big percent. But, uh-huh. but maybe it's enough to cause jaundice in those full-term babies. So, so why not? Maybe. <laughs> uh, C, insufficient iron availability may inhibit the efficacy of EPO in prematurity. Um, and so this is true. We touched about this uh, briefly um, that you, and you again are rewriting the protocol, but, um, epigen helps stimulate the bone marrow, but it still requires all of the building blocks of red blood cells to make mm-hmm. red blood cells. So, um, that's why you will need iron. Um, red blood cell survival is approximately 45 to 50 days in extremely low birth weight infants compared to 60 to 80 days in term newborns. You know, and I know it's shorter, and I know that this is correct for term newborns. Is it forty to fifty in ELBWs? Probably, maybe. It's the it's, it's the it's the worst when you're doing a question and you yeah. switch into this role of like the the judge and be like, I'll I'll allow it, right? It's I'll like, allow it. That makes sense, that <laughs> right? It's work. like. It's like I have, I, I don't really know, but yeah, I'll let I'll out. let I'll let this one slide. That's right. <laughs> okay. Very scientific. So, that's right. <laughs> it's mostly true, I think. Uh-huh. Um, and then let's see. E studies to date examining the administration of EPO have demonstrated a decrease in the number of blood donors to which infants are exposed. So, fortuitously. I just looked at this because we're studying anemia this week, and we didn't actually talk about um, epigen. You made a point to stay away from it. Um, And uh, early epigen exposure decreases the number of blood transfusions in a hospital admission. But in the studies, I do not believe it decreased the number of blood donors to which infants are exposed. Um, So that that I think that's the false answer. You are correct, ma'am. Wow, you navigated that pretty well. Thank you. It feels like you you uh, walk through a landmine. You know, it's like <laughs> all these tricky answers of like, oh, you so many ways to uh, <laughs> to falter. But no, you you got it. Correct. Well, I think that's one of the cool things about studying with other people, right? Is really ha- like is some learning some different test taking strategies. You know, that's right. Like, that's how to right. just walk your way through the answers. That's right. So you didn't have uh, to know all the answers. No, <laughs> didn't know a few of them. So anemia of prematurity is a common complication of preterm delivery, the ideology of which is multifactorial, as we've talked about before. And some of the following contributing factors are insufficient EPO production, small circulating blood volume, iatrogenic blood loss, hemorrhage, hemolysis, shortened red blood cell survival. Um, Phlebotomy volume does correlate directly with uh, transfused red blood cell volume. Delayed cord clamping, as we've discussed, uh, increases the initial red blood cell volume by 10 to 15% and improves long-term iron status in these infants. The red blood cell survival in extremely low birth weight infant is significantly shorter than red blood cells in term infants, and inadequate iron stores in preterm infants may limit the efficacy uh, of erythropoietin and subsequent recovery of red blood cell volume. Now, Importantly, studies of recombinant human erythropoietin administration have not demonstrated a decrease in the number of blood donors to which infants are exposed, and EPO administration is not currently routinely recommended in neonates. And I think this is very important, a very important point, right, where if you go look at all these EPO studies, which, um, which again, I, ha- I had to do for this protocol that I wrote, but like, it's not like a dramatic 
decrease, right? I mean, they do, they do have a statistically significant lower number of transfusions, but it's not, it's not like it's, it's, it's uh, 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 an incredible difference. And so, yeah, when you look at other parameters, yeah, the blood donors actually uh, is not, the number of blood donors is not decreased. And that's also in part because it's very difficult to, uh, to minimize the exposure of these infants to to blood donors, right? Because uh, some 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 blood banks do um, do keep track of blood donors and and make sure that maybe some babies are being exposed to like the least number of blood mm-hmm. donors. But when you consider how uh, long the process of anemia of prematurity can be, uh, it makes it very difficult when you consider also the shelf life of these uh, bl- these blood units to to keep everything in, in order to actually make sure that these babies are exposed to a, a decreased number of donors. So, um, yeah, this is the correct answer. It's, it, it does not reduce the, the exposure to blood donors. There's a bunch of Cochrane reviews. Maybe that should be next week's, uh, I mean, the following week's topic, we should do EPO as a follow-up to PRBCs since we're Let's already, yeah, maybe that's what Perfect. we should do. Now we've, 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 uh, <laughs> we've used a bunch of questions on EPO already, that's right. but we'll figure it out, I guess. Okay. Okay. All right. Oh, I'll I, ask you. Oh. No, I ask you now. Oh, are you ask me. I'm sorry. Yeah. Right, yeah sorry, man. Oh. I'm the post call one. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't feel like it. Uh, hematology and biliary vein question 43. An ELBW infant now six weeks postnatal age has a hematocrit of 27. Oh, that's not so bad. <laughs> uh, which of the following statements about the management of anemia prematurity is true? Lots of true false. This, mm-hmm. this day. Um, a, ELBW infants have a greater risk of developing necrotizing enterocolitis if they receive a transfusion within two weeks of age. B, irradiated blood is used for transfusions to reduce the transmission of CMV. C, milking the umbilical cord is associated with an increased hematocrit compared to delayed cord clamping. D, there's a direct correlation in neonates between the volume of blood drawn for lab tests and the volume of blood that is transfused. Or E, transfusion of 10 mLs per kilo should increase the hemoglobin concentration by approximately 3 to 4 grams per deciliter. I mean, we literally just talked about this. So, um, yeah, I mean, then for the sake of argument, right? D is the answer, right? We, right. we uh, literally just went over this. Um, but, um, yeah. Choice A, uh, the risk of developing necrotizing enterocolitis within two weeks of a blood transfusion um, is something that we've talked about with Dr. Saxonhaus uh, and the papers that you'll see on the website should should point you in some of that direction. We talked about irradiation. You told us about CMV, so that is... That is um, uh, actually, no, leukoreduction, you said, right? Mm-hmm. Leukoreduction, I'm sorry. I think this was an easy way to get tripped up on, the, Absolutely. on this question. Mm-hmm. Milking of the umbilical cord, I mean, that question may be getting a bit old. I mean, it's falling out of favor. So even though it does increase the hematocrit, it's not really, um, it's not really the, I mean, okay, let's ignore that. So yeah, so choice D is the answer. The, the, the direct correlation between the volume of blood drawn and the volume of blood that is being transfused. That's my answer. Yeah, that's exactly right. I just wanted to touch on on uh, just you know on a few of the other answers. Um, just like you said, it was irradiated. I mean, um, 
Look what we just. Now I'm now I'm doing it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, just like you said, it's leuco-reduced or leuco-depleted blood um, is to limit the risk of CMV uh, transmission, as opposed to irradiated blood, um, which we use to prevent um, graft-versus-host disease. Um, when ordering a red blood cell transfusion, a dose of 10 to 15 mLs per kilo is typically requested, and this is estimated to raise the hemoglobin concentration by just 2 to 3 grams per deciliter. There are actually numerous adverse outcomes that have been um, associated with transfusions, BPD, ROP, and NEC, but the association, you know, the thought is probably that the association reflects that the infants are sicker requiring transfusions rather than transfusions themselves. Um, And again, we did briefly touch on um, transfusion-related intestinal injury um, and or neck following um, blood transfusions. And, um, you know, as more and more data is coming out, it just looks like it's really it's really the severity of anemia um, followed mm-hmm. by, you know, hypoperfusion, reperfusion um, mm-hmm. after getting a blood transfusion than the transfusion itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is very interesting. And like you said, we have uh, links to some of those papers in the show yeah. notes. Okay, Daphne, are you ready for the last one? Um, yes. Okay. Yes, I am. All right. So hematology and Bill Rubin question 28. Iron stores in premature infants increase in proportion to gestational age and birth weight. Premature infants, <clears throat> sorry, premature infants have increased iron utilization and are at risk for iron depletion and anemia. Which of the following statements is false? Choice A, approximately 80% of total body iron is contained in hemoglobin. Choice B, Erythrocyte expansion needs are more rapid for preterm than term infants, secondary to a relatively faster growth rate. Choice C, most iron transfer from a pregnant woman to the fetus occurs prior to 26 weeks gestation. Choice D, prenatally, fetal iron is accrued at 1.6 to 2 milligram per kilo per day. Choice E, the healthy term infants' total body iron content is 75 milligram per kilo body weight. Why do I keep getting these numbers questions? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Probably most of the total body iron is contained in hemoglobin. That that makes sense. You'll allow it. I'll allow it. I'll allow it, yeah. (laughs) Uh, The erythrite expansion. So this is actually one of the major... um, reasons for anemia prematurity um, is that the preterm infant has this um, uh, rapid plasma expansion causing hemodilution um, because they're growing so much faster. So B is a correct statement. I I don't know. Fetal iron accretion rate. (laughs) I don't know. And the healthy term infants total body iron content is 75. I don't know either, but thankfully... (laughs) I do know for certainty that C is false because most iron transfer from um, uh, to the fetus is is in that third trimester. That's like correct. most of the minerals and nutrients that you know are are really uh, important for our uh, early life storage forms come in that third trimester. So C is wrong. Yeah, C is uh, C bailed you out. 
Yeah, that's from exactly From all these numbers. Right. <laughs> uh, sometimes, sometimes that's what we need. Maternal iron deficiency in pregnancy has been associated with decreased fetal iron stores, preterm birth, and low birth weight. Transfer of iron from a pregnant woman to the fetus is supported by a substantial increase in maternal iron absorption during pregnancy and is regulated by the placenta. For each gram of hemoglobin synthes- synthesized, 3.5 milligram of elemental iron is required. Most iron transfer to the fetus occurs after 30 weeks, as you mentioned, and corresponds with peak efficiency of maternal iron absorption. Prenatally, fetal iron is accrued at a rate of 1.6 to 2 milligram per kilo per day. A healthy term infant's total body iron content is 75 milligram per kilo, body weight approximately 80% of which is contained in hemoglobin. And the iron requirements are generally greater in preterm infants compared to term infants, secondary to that relatively faster growth rate as you've mentioned. Good job. Well, we're, we're, oh, we're that was good. fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I guess the next topic for, uh, for Neo review will be erythropoietin then. Yeah. People and Darby. And this, maybe we'll try to reach out to Dr. Robin Oles and see if she can, if she can uh, come answer some questions. Um, yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, and then this weekend, we have uh, a great interview with uh, somebody that you guys may not be familiar with, Elizabeth Simonton, who is a former NICU mother, who then became the founder of an organization that supports families in the NICU, and uh, what they've been able to do with uh, great uh, simplicity and innovative thinking has made an amazing difference to a lot of families here, down here in South Florida. Um, and, um, yeah, we're very excited to, uh, to, to bring her on the show and, sh- and so, so that she could share with us, um, some of the ways they're, they're supporting families, because again, um, these are things that could be replicated anywhere around the world, very basic human stuff. And, um, she was great. So, uh, we're looking forward to, to Sunday. Yeah, I think you you know hit the nail on the head when you described that. It's the interventions are so seemingly obvious, and yet most units around the country are not doing them. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. All so right. see you guys Sunday. All right, Daphna. Bye. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.